It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into a special edition of the podcast. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Chad Brendel of Bearcat Journal. And Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com, been up all night doing lots of work, but he is ready to roll on this special edition of the podcast. That's we'll right. touch a little bit of Kentucky and UCLA. We're going to talk some of the coaching uh, coaching mill that's that's gone on, some, some weird things that have gone on. But we're going to spend a chunk of this podcast, obviously, because it is a special edition, because Xavier Musketeers knock off Arizona on Thursday night to advance to the Elite Eight and seeking its first, either one of them, seeking their first Final Four appearance ever. For the record. Yes. Who summoned this podcast last night? You did. In, 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 in what, one fifteen in the morning, one thirty in the morning, whatever time that game ended? Facts. It is facts. Yeah, and, and that's for all the Xavier fans out there who were wanting to revel in Brendel's tears this morning. Yes. The no, he, he's so. the one that called the summit meeting, and, and here we are. So we're, we're at the summit and, and talking about it. Let's. Uh, They're going to be shocked today with what I have to say. I, I think you're going to say nice things, right? Let's do it. Let's, Let's do find it. out. Way to go out on a limb. I know. <laughs> I can't imagine what, what not nice things you could say after the win like that. Um, Rick, the, 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 the win over Florida State wasn't overly shocking because of how bad Florida State was. Arizona is really, really good. Um, in fact, if, if you were to pull them out of a hat and go, man, I, this is the team I pulled, I would have said, that I, I love my pull out of the hat. I love what I just pulled in Arizona. So that was a, that was a really, really great win for Xavier, without question. Yeah, well, let, let's hold on for a second. The win over Florida State was absolutely shocking. The, the difference, I think what you're saying is that Florida State will give you a game yes. the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. with what yeah. they did. Yeah. The way they played that game. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, the end result in margin was shocking, right. no question about right. it. But Florida but, State lost a Temple. At, at one point this year, right. so they can give you a game. Yeah. Right, right, right. And 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 from that perspective, I would agree. That being said, like I wouldn't pick Xavier to beat Florida State six out of ten times. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. That's probably so a good point. It wasn't like Xavier was favored in that game, so that was still somewhat shocking. Um, the Arizona thing, the difference is, you're right. That Arizona team won't give you a game. Right. They're too consistent. They're too tough. They're too good defensively to ever give you a game. Xavier had to go take it from them, and multiple times. It looked like that wasn't going to happen. I mean, well, they were down. down 71, 60, down seven with really time winding down for the most part in the game. I mean, it looked at that point like, all right, better team's going to win this game, and they're going to win it probably by double digits. Instead, obviously, Xavier turns, turns the switch back on. So let, me, let me flip this around on you two guys. I want to ask you this, starting with you, Skinny, and then we'll go to Chad. What, what stands out to you about this Xavier team in this run? What's the difference about this Xavier you, team from your guys? I think you touched on it on Sunday night in the Sports Authority. I, I just think the ball movement's better. I just think guys are getting touches. Before last night, I think on their 55 baskets in the first two games, they had assists on a 35 of those. That doesn't always suggest ball movement, but it's certainly a stat that indicates ball movement. Last night was 14 for 28, which isn't overly high. It's not, it's not awful, but I think it's just different guys getting touches and different guys, I hate to use the word stepping up. I mean, where in the hell did Sean O'Mara come from? Where did he come from? I mean, he's a finisher now. 54% from the field, 47% from three which in means, three NCAA tournament games. And, that, and, and you know, that... That's hard to do. I mean, that's really hard to do. It's exactly what Villanova did basically last year to win a title. Right. I mean, I'm, right. I'm not saying. Yeah, no, but, it, but that, I'll tell you, that's just hard to do. Um, and, and, again, it's a, you don't have an elite five guy. Uh, um, you know, you can do that with an elite five. You just don't, and yet their fives are playing great. It's amazing how contagious that ball movement seems to yep. be, isn't it? Like, because it, it only took, it seemed, I mean, J.P. McCure to me is the most noticeable guy in terms of changing his approach and becoming more of a distributor mm-hmm. and more unselfish. His five assists last night were huge. 
And when you have Quentin Gooden getting six, him getting five, it's like you have two point guards mm-hmm. on the court all of a sudden with the way JP's been playing. So he's the only one that's really seemingly changed his game. But like it changed that. everything for them. But yeah, but it's like once you got a few extra good passes moving and you got a few more good looks, it became contagious. Now, And maybe it's seeing, seeing guys finish too. Maybe it's the point of earlier in the year when you did throw it into some of those guys, there was no finishing. So it's, hey, I ain't throwing it back in there. Well, and you miss a three. So the next time it's like, well, Trayvon's like, well, I got to be the one to take right. it this time. So right. I've got to create a shot. And now it's just like, let's just create the best look we can. And it may, Kaiser Gates is throwing good passes. Sean Mara has become an incredible passer mm-hmm. out of the post from out of nowhere. So I think your point is a great one. Chad, what stands out to you? Before I get to that, one other thing on JP. Since the start of the Big East tournament, how many times have any of us looked at him taking a shot and going, what are you doing, JP? Right. I don't remember doing it once. Yeah, I mean, And like, we did it all season. Guess, like, yeah. Well, he had one in the Florida State game that he, he buried. It was a pull-up from like five feet behind the line when he was playing point guard, and he nailed it. Yeah. And then last night, I think there was one quick three that he took that maybe was like kind of questionable. Yeah, but I mean. And the no-look layup, which he rebounded yeah, and put back yeah. in. So like, he's still going to do a JP thing or two, but it's like it's one, and he only takes ten shots for the game yeah. instead of four or five of them plus four or five turnovers, and yeah. he took 17 shots for the game. <clears throat> for me, the, the answer is easy. Chris Mack, this has been – thinking back through past NCAA tournaments, I can't – like I'm not a coaches win games guy. Players win games. Chris Mack has been brilliant. Everything he has dialed up in each of these three games has worked, be it offensively, what sets they're in, uh, sideline out-of-bounds plays, baseline out-of-bounds plays – what they're changing to to give the defense a different look from each possession to each possession. I think that's why they're shooting 54% from the floor and 47% from three is because he is orchestrating this thing. And defensively, the zone, the man-to-man, the 2-3, the 1-3-1, nobody's been able to get set really and comfortable against for long, this, periods for long to, stretches yeah. against the Savior it, it, defense. It, it almost got that way with True when he went on that 15-point yeah. run last night. And and, um, and, he, and, and he changed, he changed, back, he changed back up, yeah. Uh, and, and, it, and it's helped, too. I mean, let's face it, the three teams in the tournament, I'm doing this off the top of my head, uh, I think are 18 of 75 on threes, the three yeah. teams that Xavier's play. So there, there's a little bit. I think, But I think some of that, too, is when you watch teams taking threes against that zone right now, Sometimes against zone, you're going to get a clean look. It just is part and parcel of the zone. There's not a lot of even clean looks out of that zone because they've ranged out so far out of the different looks that, you know, you, you're, you're going to get some, but they just haven't gotten a lot, and that's why I think the percentage is so low. Yeah, I think one of the things they've done a good job of is contesting shots early for one, and then two, like you guys have said, keeping guys uncomfortable whether they're in the man-to-man or zone, and so much of shooting is just stepping in with rhythm, rhythm right, right. and getting your – footwork right and what especially the one three one but also what they're doing with the two three is they're kind of just they're leaving guys open but they're flinching and making them uncomfortable and they're not exactly sure how the rotations are going and i think that keeps guys from being able to step in one two into a rhythm three and and it's made teams miss a few more and i put a lot of yesterday on sean because how do you have a guy you've got a, a seven footer that's incredibly skilled playing in the middle of that zone and they never threw him the ball yeah, where I he mean, could, where he can turn, attack, turn, score, turn, they, kick they never out, even all that right. the ball. Right. They never even looked at him, and he's lethal from that spot. If That's you watched, it, yeah. Done that he all can year. pass, he can shoot, he can drive from there. One dribble to the rim. Right. I mean, and they, I mean, you're just looking at the TV, and he's standing there. Please throw me the ball. And they never – I don't think he touched the ball for, like, the final 10 minutes. Yeah. He didn't take a shot for the final 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. That. yeah. When he touched it, he was he was not in position to score is kind of what I'm getting. He didn't right. – there wasn't a touch no. within the final 10 minutes where they got him 
it was like free. Xavier did a good job of crowding him the first few times he touched it there, and, they and just, then they just went away yeah. from it completely. I mean, there were times he was standing there wide open, nobody around him. And they were out guarding other things, and he's standing there with his hands up, and they just were like, we're not throwing it to you. Now, one of the issues, obviously, the zone is is at times defensive rebounding, and it really did affect yeah. Xavier for the first eh, did you 30, hear anything about th- that? 30 minutes yeah. or so. Yeah, um, not, I, But, but really, the way that they defensive rebounded, really the last 10 or 11 minutes, uh, that, I thought that was as big a thing winning them the game as anything else, is there just was no second-chance opportunities. Yeah, well, G- J.P. McCura led the team in rebounding. Malcolm Bernard stepped up. He and was had great. Some key tips and rebounds down the stretch. Sean O'Mara was big even when he wasn't grabbing the boards. He was keeping other guys off the glass, right. tipping balls, keeping them alive. Kaiser Gates became a little more – I mean, it was really a team effort there down the stretch to secure those key defensive rebounds. But you go back to the struggles they had in the first half, and I think this, again, goes back to kind of Max touch with when to switch the defenses. And it was like, okay, the zone is really working well. We are getting abused on the glass. Stayed in it through the end of the first half. Then switched things up a little bit in the second half. Got back into some man-to-man and, and, and said, guys, we got to be tougher on right, the glass. Right. And I think some of that just – that sort of got Arizona out of their rhythm and their comfort zone and what they were doing on the offensive glass. And, and from that point, once Xavier got more physical and tougher again on the glass, it the game was kind of – Arizona didn't really have much. Like, there were no adjustments Sean seemed to be able to make to, to take advantage of the mismatches they had. And on the other side of things, they weren't able to, to take away the mismatches Xavier had, which was – Laurie Markhannon didn't have anyone to guard last night. Right. They, and you talked, talked about that before the you game. Yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he, he ran out Kadeem Allen to start the game, who's supposed to be their best defender. He's given up two inches and 20 pounds to, or not 20 pounds now, maybe 10 pounds to Trayvon. Trayvon guards two, draws two fouls on him within right. the first few minutes. Right. And now they lost their best defender for the whole first half. And then you had to put Alonzo Trier on Blewett, who's just not. He's a scorer. He's an offensive player. <laughs> yeah, he's like, an offensive like, player. He's not a bad defender, but he's a guard who wants to guard guards. Right. And like, even though he's a good-sized guard, he's just not ready to guard Trayvon Blewett at this point in his career. And Trayvon got hot in the first half, and that was a major difference in the game. Does the shootout play any factor here for X? Because that first half was the shootout, basically. And, and then they were able to step it up on the glass and not allow, you know, just past experience – the ability to say, you know what, we didn't do this in that game. Well, I mean, you remember Chris's comment afterwards. They, we got punked. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> and for the first half, they, they, did, they did get they, punked yeah, exactly. against Arizona. And the second half, they, they at least held their own, and it wasn't a parade of second-chance points for Arizona. If it was, you're not able to go on a 12-2 to run to close the game. Correct. I mean. Yeah. And, and I would like to say, oh, yeah, you know, they, they learned from that, and that was the difference. I tend to think that was more UC was – was a lot better in the second <laughs> half than Arizona was in yeah. the second half of that game um, in terms of just crushing Xavier on the glass. But, yeah, I mean, being in that position, and it certainly was eerily similar, especially with the way Trayvon yeah, was going off and not missing a yeah, shot. It, so. was, it was Arizona on the offensive glass against Trayvon just on absolute flaming flames hot. Just everything he, he touched was going through the net. What did you guys think about, um, I guess Xavier has the ball with like 50-something, 50, 50 seconds left maybe on that final possession. They do a great job of running something quick to get the two for one. Right, so they which, which a lot of college teams shot. are just horrible, horrible at. No, they don't do. They just know, don't right. do it. Yeah, right. don't it's not even horrible. That it they, yeah, it's yeah. not a thing. Um, what I got the question a few times last night on Periscope. What did you think of Mac drawing something up for O'Mara in that situation? The way he had played, I <laughs> yeah, great. It, it, it was it was perfect. It's, it, it's still shocking that this is Sean O'Mara versus thirty games worth of Sean O'Mara that we got 
all season. It's really hard it, to explain. It is, it is I, I, no, shocking. I, I'd like to say I could explain it, and I can't. I, I, I the, just, only, I mean, the only thing I've got is Mike Pegues is some kind of wizard. And, I mean, that is, I think, the case. I know, like, he, I, I know he's highly thought of with working with big men, and maybe it, it was one of those that it, it he kept after it, kept after it, kept after it, and Sean had a little bit. I can't remember what game it was, Rick. He had a drop-step dunk in a game, which I hadn't seen. I wish I could remember what game it was. You remember him probably way more than I do. But it was a, it was a, it was a late late enough season game where I thought, okay, that's what you're capable of doing. Instead of going up soft and trying to lay it in and, and finessing his way, it was almost from that point on he started to almost go, huh, I can do this. And and it didn't come in, in huge waves like it is now, but I don't. it just feels like it was almost like a light bulb moment for him. It, it, it felt like at some point something switched on and he was just a completely different guy. I mean, there's no question about that. The only thing, well, not the only thing, but the biggest thing to me where you have to give credit to Sean is the fact of the way he's kept a clear mind throughout this right. whole process. Yeah, he right. could have quit. I mean, when you go from being the starter as a junior and you were thinking about transferring before the year anyway mm-hmm. because you didn't know if you belonged, right. you get the starting job, you lose it 10 games in, and then – Midway through the year into the conference season, you can't even get off the bench. Right. And you still come with a positive enough attitude that, like, I'm going to improve, and by the end of the year, I'm going to make a difference and in the tournament. He, he's like, a second-leading scorer in the tournament, right, for them? And that's a pretty insane thing. It is. Like, that's <laughs> It's mind-boggling. Like, lot, not many people do that, you know, like Head explode. To go from the, the 10th guy, 11th guy, whatever, the, well, 8th guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was doing math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to go from the last guy, the last scholarship guy, to the second leading scorer in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. It's a testament to him. I've said it on this podcast before. I am a huge Mike Pegues fan. I think he does an incredible job coaching big men. I, I, I think he's phenomenal. What happened with James Farr? Magic and and this is right along those lines. Mm-hmm. Like it's not for a full season, but it damn sure is when it counts. No, and it was funny because he he's been talking about before this year of being very good with big men. It almost felt like all right, is this just idle talk? Because none of their big men are worth a damn right now, and yet here you are at the you know what? Stre- stretch of the year where they're great. But even if you go back, like there were times where their big struggled this year, and, and we talked about it. But for the most part, that. Rubik's Cube of Gaston and Jones and O'Mara have given them what they need nine times out of ten. They always had at least one of those guys going pretty well. And the other thing about it is it was everyone was looking for a scapegoat when the struggles were going on. And it was easy to look at the bigs and say they're not James and Jalen. And it's like, okay, yeah, maybe. And they can't play the 1-3-1 as effectively. But when you look at the production, they're very similar, and they're certainly not the issue with this team. Right. The issue was that Trayvon wasn't Trayvon, and JP wasn't JP, and Edmund. And turnovers. Those, and yeah, those guys weren't meshing together offensively the way everyone thought they were. Like, Xavier asked James and Jalen to be catch-and-finish guys last year. It wasn't like they were playing their offense right, through them. Right. So that wasn't the big issue all along. It was well, an easy scapegoat to look at. You know, and Gaston went from a guy that early in the season couldn't make a layup, couldn't finish one foot from the rim to a guy that was putting up 10, 12 points a game, and then and, and then Tyreek. And now he's not playing. Now like, he's not right, playing. Know, and then, right, and right. then Tyreek comes on and, and starts and looks like he's, you know, going to be Eric Hicks, like we talked about. Yeah. They listed he's him really good. They listed him at 6'9 last night. I laughed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then out of nowhere... Here comes Sean O'Mara, like back from the dead. Well, and then it's, the, it, it was, it's literally the Undertaker popping up from the casket. And the other guy, Malcolm Bernard, who awesome at, at points late in the year, you didn't even know he was on the floor. I mean, he just he disappeared when they needed him to be to step up. And and I mean, last night he made he made big shots. He, you're right, he tipped balls at the right time, um, put a body on guys at the right. He just did everything that you said. 
all right, that 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 was that guy's a, that guy's a, a force. Two things: the offensive rebound or the defensive rebounding, going to tipping balls, right? Changed a lot for them. I agree. I thought they were just like battling to keep balls alive, yeah. and then some. They knew all their guys were going to keep fighting longer than Arizona's guys. And they so did. If we keep the ball alive, we'll come up with it. Somehow. I mean, it was it was a brilliant. I don't know if it was a strategy change or if they talked about it or if it was just something instinctively that the players did. But that I think that was a huge factor in changing their ability to get defensive rebounds. Like how many rebounds did you see them pulled down where the ball was like batted around, then rolled on the yeah. ground, and then yeah, they came and they up dug, with it, dug it up? Yeah. yeah, it was like that was a weird. They got thing. every fifty-fifty ball. Yeah, at some point, it's like that's kind of weird that that keeps happening that's that's happened a lot this half and, and two we've talked about Malcolm Bernard from the start of the season on this podcast he needed he's got a role he didn't you know maybe wasn't as comfortable in it or wasn't as accepting of it trying to blend in trying to go from being the guy that did everything at his old school to being a piece of this puzzle there had to be a happy medium how many times have we talked about him finding that happy medium he's in the sweet spot right now yeah, he really is. Well, and, and this goes back to the defensive matchup issue we talked about where Mark Cannon wasn't on Blewett, so he guarded Bernard. And the thing both Brian Snow and I talked about on the podcast before um, that game uh, when we were talking about that matchup was if you do that, all, Mark Cannon can't guard Bernard off the dribble no, at the right. three-point so, line. So he's going to have to give him room. And all of a sudden you've made one of Xavier's secondary, you know, like the third, fourth, fifth option on their offense – a primary weapon, and that's exactly what happened. Bernard got early fouled, but so you have to respond to that. But you have to respond half. to that too, though. I mean, if you're Malcolm Bernard, you have to answer that the, the bell to it, and he did absolutely. When he he, he missed a lot of the first half because of the foul right. trouble. When he gets back in the second half, he catches on the wing, does a rip through, blows right past Mark Cannon, and dunked. And at that point, you like saw the confidence also. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, he cannot guard me, and um, and then he backed off, and he made a couple threes, right. and it was yeah, it worked out really well for for Malcolm and and for a kid that. I mean, for both him and Rashid, they said, like, I'm leaving because I want an opportunity to make a run in the NCAA tournament. And, and, you, it, and it looked like it was an epic three fail. weeks ago. <laughs> it Good job, like, yeah, dumbass. It looked like an epic fail. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, okay, you're going to get to play in the tournament maybe. but Enjoy your one game. Right. And now to see those guys, and, and for especially Malcolm right now to be a huge part of that, that's a, that's a pretty special thing for a guy like sure. that. I mean, he was at a team that was literally the second worst in all of college basketball last year in Florida A&M. Yeah. Could you imagine? Like, no one showed up to their games. No one interviewed them after they were over. No one cared at all what he was doing last year. And he was averaging, like, 17 points and 8 rebounds or something. And now you're one win away from going and playing the final weekend of the season. Yeah, and everybody wants to talk to you about right. your last plays, your rebounds, all that other stuff. I mean, it's got to be a dream come true for that kid. All right, let's look ahead to, uh, to the Gonzaga game. Um, I feel like I, I've slept on them a little bit, but then watching them in the tournament, it makes me also go, they're beatable. I, and that's that sounds odd because they're good. They're re- they are really, really good. I know that state in the obvious with the records. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Sound is a good word. And, and I, maybe it's, it's – them and Oregon are the two teams when I filled out brackets that I just kind of dismissed. Oregon because of the injury. And they've had two clo- – I mean, they could, they could have easily been out in the second round too. But they're not, and they're playing the Elite Eight. Um, Gonzaga could have been out a couple of times maybe yeah. in this tournament, and yet here they are playing the Elite Eight. And I think there's something to be said for teams that, that know how to win. Um, Rick, just looking at, at, the, at the matchup, they, they really have a, a lot of very good pieces, including a big guy who's very skilled. Yeah, and they're, they're sound throughout. Like, like you guys said, they don't have holes. But I think the difference is when you look at, like, Florida State and you look at Arizona, they had athletes guys, that Xavier yeah, looks at sure. where it's just going, oh, man, that's yeah. a problem. Like, yeah. You don't really have a matchup for that guy. You don't really have a matchup for that guy. With Gonzaga, it's like, well, no one really has a matchup for Karnowski, obviously. Seven-foot seven foot mountain of a man at 300-and-something pounds. He's huge. 
and they can play through him. He reminds me a lot of a bigger, better Stainbrook, quite honestly. Like, he yeah. passes really well out of the that. post. He, he's uncomfortable with the ball in his hands. He'll handle it on the perimeter mm-hmm. and make good passes. He made a couple good passes last night. He can score a little bit from the mid-range, he'll, and he's great in, on the block, obviously. So he's a difficult matchup for anyone in the country because no one has giant centers in 2017 right. other than Gonzaga. The rest of their team, like, Nigel Williams-Goss is really good. I think he's really Love good. Love his game. Love his game. He's not like an impossible athlete that you can't possibly guard and keep in front of you. And then the guys around him, none of them are special. They're, they're all really good. They shoot the ball well. They fit perfectly together. They all play sound defense together. But they're not special in terms of their elite athleticism or size or anything like that. So personnel-wise, I think this is the best matchup Xavier's had um, since – I mean, Maryland. really? Yeah. yeah. Ma- I mean, Maryland, even when you kind of look at, like, Melo Trimble and some of the guys they had, like, Maryland's just as tough of a matchup personnel-wise, I think, as this Gonzaga team. Gonzaga's obviously a lot better than Maryland or Florida State in terms of their consistency and how they play. Their defense is a big question mark. It's like, how has this team been so good defensively all year? Yeah. They're number one in the country in defensive efficiency. But, but they the same- don't look like they overwhelm you. Well, and at the same time, no. But I, I thought they made West Virginia look real uncomfortable in the half court last night. It's because West I mean, they Virginia held is really bad. And they are, the yeah, a good point. <laughs> they held them fifty eight points, but we've talked about that all year. If you don't turn the ball over against West Virginia, right. they'll score fifty eight points in the half court. Like that's who they are. But well, and this is apples to oranges because Notre Dame isn't a great defensive team. But West Virginia was good in the half court against Notre Dame. But part of it was they made a bunch of shots. Yeah, they too. made a bunch of threes. Yeah. So that you know, we just got we got to make shots. Just make Chuck. shots, Chuck. I thought he was going to explode last night. Speaking of which, before we get back to Gonzaga, the the, the possession down three for West Virginia was the most absurd thing. Uh, Go to the rim. They're giving you the rim. Cut it to one. With, I mean, honestly, if you'd have gone right to the rim, you make a layup with 22 seconds, you're down one. They have to inbound. The you can set your press up, which you're really good at. Yeah, that's your thing. You have a chance to get a couple of traps well, before you have to foul. And then if you foul, and even if they make two free throws, you still have a chance to go down and try to hit a three. I have a question on that possession. And maybe you guys noticed this or maybe you guys didn't. They reset the shot clock after the first air ball. I did not notice that. There was when West Virginia got the ball, there was forty something seconds left and thirty seconds on the shot clock. Think back to it. The ball never touched the rim and they played the, out all forty seconds. I thought one of the ones I, I thought it did. I, I, I they reset it, it after the first one that was okay. an air ball. I, yeah, I thought the, I thought one of them grazed it. Either way, I don't know that I've ever been more frustrated for a play and play that possession. I didn't care about. Like I was screaming multiple times after they showed the the replay, I was mad. Like, I was like, I don't want to watch that, Javon Carter. You are a bad person. You you are not a good teammate right now. <laughs> For a 40-year-old college player, man, you are a bad guy. Well, he had your guy wide open. I Beetle mean, was standing there James waiting Bolden for the ball. was open multiple times during the three-shot <laughs> possession. Well, I mean, the worst part of it all was after you act like a jerk-off by dribbling out the final 10 seconds of your possession. Where you, you hand it off. Just go here. Here, you, here you, go ahead. You, you're not even good enough to get your own shot, and you just ba- you put it on someone else to try to bail you out with .7 seconds left, and you don't even get a shot. That's That'll go down as one of the worst possessions I've ever seen. Uh, well, Because you had so much opportunity. Worst. You had three shots. Can you think of a worse possession? Well, I mean, the not necessarily a worse possession when you combine the fact that you had four, oppor- three or four opportunities at it in the NCAA tournament with yeah. the game on the line. I mean, Vanderbilt was left. pretty horrendous. Of course, yeah. they required some defense and some idiocy on that end too. So. Yeah, there's been bad possessions. I don't want to get too hyperbolic. This one's but. pretty high on the list. It's really high on the list. I, I mean, 
you work, you've got, you work on that in practice of end-of-game situations, and, and, and it's, hey, we're down three, 35 seconds to go. Try to get the first best opportunity. If it's a three-grade, if it's not, get as far to the rim as you can. Maybe you get an and one. Maybe they let you go. We reset our – that's the part I don't – don't what? tell me they didn't work well, on that. Hugs had already blown his timeout. That's why, why, no, no, no. why don't coaches save a timeout <laughs> for the last 30 seconds? Tell Xavier fans that. What? <laughs> Max got three or four of them yeah, ready he, to go. He, he's just waiting for him to like, I'm gonna call all of these. Watch, we'll inbound to midcourt and call one. We'll yeah. so but a defense third and call fi- another one. Fifty nine seconds left. He takes that final timeout. Took his final timeout. Why? I, at that part, I don't know. I really. And that's a, that's a great question. But I'm just. You even still. You work on that stuff without timeouts too. Of guys. Okay, great. No but, time and score situation. Here it is. Okay, great. But after after. I'm not after telling you it was twice the right after, thing to do. After two terrible shots, wouldn't you have loved a timeout? Absolutely. To get them over and put your foot in their rear end and say, "Hey, can we do something now?" I'm not going to say Hugs is going to draw up a play that's going to work because he's not. No, but but it's not necessarily his strong suit. But <laughs> I mean. At least to get their their head on straight. Yeah, it was that was as bad as it 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 it, it gets. There's no doubt about we it. Just gotta make shots, Chuck. You know what? We got we got to score. When when we make shots, we're good. When we miss shots, we're not good, Chuck. Just, our, our guys, the name our the guys don't care. They don't care. <laughs> um, but Xavier fans care right now. Um, let's, <laughs> the, the side of the bracket. I'm still that mad. Xavier's on. I'm still mad. At? I, I wanted to see, like, if this is going to happen, you wanted to go through hugs. I wanted it to go through Sean Miller and Bob Huggins. If well, this let, is let going to happen. Miller. Yeah, but I mean, but the Huggins part, like, uh, we talk, that would have been literally the greatest thing in Xavier sports history on top of making their first Final Four. And this is hyperbole, obviously. Right. But to go through Sean Miller and Bob Huggins to get there, like, the only thing better would be Thad Mata waiting in the Final Four to get to the championship game. Like, it, it would have been just legendary. To have to do that to to make it to the first one. You have to say though, like if Chris Mack somehow gets to this final four before Sean Miller does, wow. I mean that was the reason he left. Wow. He said it wow. in like, his press conference. He dropped that whole Lexus versus Buick line. I mean, like if Chris Mack goes to the final four before he does, and they've both had ample time to do it. It's not like a no, luck right. thing at this right. point. Oh wow! I mean that's. That that is funny. Like you've got him. Regardless of how you feel as a Xavier fan about Sean Miller, most of them still love him and think he's as classy as it gets. That is still funny. He said in the press conference, "I came here to win or go to Final Fours. I couldn't do that at Xavier." Yeah. No, he couldn't. But Chris Mack might. <laughs> I mean, so. I mean, and in all seriousness, I think that would be the biggest difference between the two. I don't think Sean Miller had a vision for Xavier. I don't think he recruited the same. Like, Chris Mack, immediately, as soon as he took over the job, him and Travis Steele were like, we're going after five-star kids. We're going to recruit like we're the best school in the country. Sean Miller didn't do that. He went after the toughest dudes he could find, some dudes that weren't as talented because he knew they were tough and they'd be able to defend the way he wanted to be and everything else like that. I think that makes a difference. I also think... At a place like Xavier, the the idea of we do what we do and we're never going to conform or change our mindset. I mean, you saw it in play last night. He didn't have any adjustments. He stuck to his pack line defense, yep. jumping ball screens, and, and stayed with the matchups and, that he thought were best. And probably when he was up seven, went, whoo, okay, we're good. Yeah. No, exactly. Weren't. And Chris Mack, he did that his first few years. He stuck to the, you heard him say, the we do what we do, Sean Miller line. And then, you know, you got Matt Stadenbrook. It's like, oh, we better figure something else out because right. what we do ain't going to work with this man on the court. And ever since then, Chris Mack has adapted his game plan a lot more often to his personnel and figured out new wrinkles. Each year it's been a different defense or something else, a different offense that he's changed to run for the guys that he has. And when you're at a place like Xavier, I mean, if you're not Duke or 
Kansas or Kentucky. And even them, now with the one and done where they're constantly having to flip the roster right. over, I think they have to do it a little more too. But when you're not going to get the elite talents and the perfect player every time to fit your system, I think you have to be able to adapt a little bit, or at least it gives you a better opportunity for success. And isn't this insanity? Last year was, quote-unquote, the best right. year in school history. The best year in school history. Two seed. Two seed. Get knocked out by Wisconsin on a buzzer beater. This year, fire the coach. This just isn't working. Six-game losing streak. Lose seven of ten. Almost don't make the tournament. Almost don't make the tournament. What are we doing? You know, fans up in arms about Mac and all the, the tired, lazy narratives coming back to light. And now they're one win from the Final Four. Yeah, this, that's that's the absurdity of the NCAA tournament, right? That's the the beauty of it as well. Yeah, and don't, you don't pick it, the year; the year picks you. It, yeah, it, it can ruin your season, and it can absolutely completely salvage your season and take it to a whole nother level. Xavier making the tournament salvaged their season. This took it to a whole nother level. Yeah, and I I think one of the things though last year was like last year was less. I guess that that was more outside the norm or more unexpected. Yeah. Like Xavier getting booted early with that team was kind of like more unexpected, right. I would say, than this Xavier team making a run because this Xavier team was talented all along. Like they were preseason yeah, number not, seven not, for a reason. But last year, but without but, Edmund Sumner and now without Miles Davis, it changed. And it changed. But but like they still had that talent yeah. in there, and they were the same core of guys who did really well last year. It just took them forever to figure it out. And well, they and had it, a lot of adversity to go through to get there. Things kept changing on them. And it took some of the new pieces until now. Yeah. The, the, great timing, fellas. Yeah. <laughs> but I still go back to the biggest key was all along was getting Trayvon Blewett and J.P. McCura and at the time Edmund Sumner to play together and find that cohesion on the offensive end that they just never found earlier yeah. in the year. And, and I think, not that there's a silver lining, but I think – Edmund getting hurt when he did gave them time. Well, it was also one less person that needed the ball. Well, but, uh, but, but what I'm really saying was. is, and trust me, I yeah, anybody would on Edmund. No, yeah, exactly, right. yeah. exactly. But what I'm saying is, Quentin Gooden had some time to go through his bumps and bruises. Like, and he still is. If, if you go back to 2000, 1999, 2000, if Kenya Martin breaks his leg six weeks before the NCAA tournament, you can adjust. I think that Cincinnati team was still good enough. I did too. To go really far. Kenny Satterfield, Jamar Johnson, and, and, Pete Michael. And, and right or wrong, I mean, still might have gotten a one seed because yeah. he would have said, hey, this team is, is they overcome back. Right, yeah. But it happened the week of. If Edmund Sumner would have got hurt in the Big East tournament in the first game, Xavier wouldn't be where they're I, at right I, now. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Absolutely. So yeah. they, they, everything went wrong. At the right time. At the right time. Like When you're in the middle of it, when we talk about it in the middle of it, it's chaos. It's you know, but then when you when you get out on the other side, and all of a sudden, Quentin Gooden's got six assists and what two turnovers last night? I, I don't one or six two. and three. Six and three. Yeah. Um, it, it, he settled. He calmed, and and that allowed JP to kind of become a different guy, like we've talked about, and become a guy that's now passing and moving the ball and and trusting. and not being a ball stopper and and trusting Quentin Gooden and and all of a sudden out of nowhere this team that the the, the only two wins they could get in a month were DePaul sitting in the freaking elite eight it's unbelievable 
Yeah. I mean, now, it's, unbel- it, it's such a credit to them for sticking with it and not throwing in the towel. And, and as I've said, I mean, it, just an incredible job by Chris Mack. And, and your point's well taken. Like, it did happen with enough time. But at the same time, like, a lot of times a team goes through a six-game losing streak late in the and, season. And, and packs it and, in. And things are done. And then yeah. you wouldn't be saying any of that. No, like, I agree know, completely. Like it's perfect it's, timing. it's, it's like, a huge credit to them for coming through it. Right. Well, that's like, why it if you make it the... work, then it happened in perfect right. timing. Otherwise, like, most teams, that kills their season. So. Well, that's why it goes back to the NCAA tournament is a great thing and a bad thing because you're defined. You see right now is defined as a second-round loser. And now Xavier's defined as an elite eight team, and and it's, it's the two it's, seasons it's, couldn't have been more different. Correct, and that's the goofy part to it. What what is what is the because I mean I was just busy yesterday. Obviously, Lance McAllister did his blog post and did his topic on air. Is there a lot of like what was the feedback on the UC? For those, yeah, for, the, for those mad who don't know about it, annoyed by it. For those who don't know, that he, didn't get any he, real. He compared the programs, um, basically. But he so, approached showing, it from, from, from the standpoint of why can't UC, UC do what Xavier correct, does, basically. I, it, that actually didn't get anything on my on my site. Like there was no. There's people that are furious today because X went farther than you see. Sure. Yeah. Um. They, they. I don't get taking that personal. Like. I dislike Xavier as much as the next guy that's a UC <laughs> fan, but I mean, give you got to admire. Yeah. I mean, yeah, give I mean, your cap. I mean, you're silly and, if you don't. I think you know the frustration from a UC fan perspective in a lot of that was. Because they had had to play who they had had to play, mm-hmm. and Xavier had gotten Lehigh and had gotten Georgia State, and it, it always felt like things just happened to break right for Xavier. They get in, you know, struggle down the stretch. They lose 13, 14 games. They get in the tournament, and they go on a run. And the, ter- the bracket breaks exactly right for them. Now, you could argue that, that it was a good draw. They but still had to beat a six, a three, and a one. A six, a three, and a, a six, a three, and a two I'm with the yeah, one, six, yeah, with the one, one up little, next. Yeah, like right. I, I don't care how favorable those matchups were. That's not beating a six and then no, that's literally beating then a fourteen every- and then a ten. You know what I mean? The, the, yeah. That bracket no didn't doubt. fall apart on Xavier. Like this is the one time out of all these these Xavier runs that you look at and you go, you know what? They flat out earned every bit of it. Not I guess that's a bad terminology, but. The tournament is about how the bracket breaks. Usually it is, absolutely. And this Xavier team has said, we're breaking it all around. Right. And they did. I mean, And it, they did. That's They literally beat every seed. off. Every higher seed that they would have had to play along the way. The six in the and first round. Three was the highest they could have played in the second round. Two is obviously the highest they could have played yeah. in this round. One's the highest they could play in this upcoming round. And, and, right. and you guys are on your own. I'm not putting this podcast on my website. <laughs> <laughs> Little little blowback there. Um, <laughs> I don't feel like hearing it. Yeah, just I, letting you know. And, and well, it, just for the record, when UC did go to the Final Four in '92, the bracket fell it, it, pretty favorable. They were a four, and they didn't play a, a one, one, the one, the two, the three. Correct. Yeah, and highest and, they played was a six, right? And yeah. that being said, no, like five. five, you're right. That's how it works when you win games in the tournament, right? Like no one, no one in Arizona or Florida State is saying like, oh, this broke perfectly for us, despite the fact that they got an 11 seed. Right. You know what I mean? Right. They're saying, well, we got one of the hottest teams in the tournament. Sure. So it's who's playing the best of the time. Like, Xavier played Lehigh, but it was Lehigh with C.J. McCollum who ended up coming being off a, a monster du- NBA yeah. player. And coming and off of a Duke, Duke win. Because yeah, right. they was, he was he really was the, good. He was the like, best guy on the floor that yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. So it's, there's, there's things to this that, you know, change that a little bit. And the narratives can be Twisted a lot of ways, but I, I think I think you said that really well. Um, I do want to get a little perspective from you guys on what I wrote this morning, and I didn't it, read it. I figured that. That's why I'm <laughs> going to tell you what it is. Um, but you you asked the question last night on in the Periscope. 
is Chris Mack the best Xavier coach ever at this point? Yes. And I, I pretty much argued in my story, I think you have to have him as Xavier's at least most accomplished coach. Like, maybe you could argue in the short stint, Thad Sean Ma- Miller. And Thad Thad Ma- Ma- yeah, in, in the short stint. With Thad I mean, Mott, it's really difficult, though, because he was there for three right, years right. at a good time. And it's like, eh, like I'm going to go yes. I mean, I think you have to. The only, the only thing I'll give Thad credit for, and, and this is going to besmirch Pete Gillen, and I don't mean it to, because Pete obviously is was, was the one that kind of took the whole thing from the bootstraps of, of Bob Stack taking the baby step and brought it up to another level. felt like, though, Thad brought things a little bit further along, and, and neither Sean nor Chris really dropped the ball from that point forward. Yeah, I, I think fair. I think the combination of, obviously, you had what, what Pete Gillen had done, and you desperately needed to keep that momentum going, right. and you were moving into the A-10. And Thad made sure that happened for three years. But three years is nothing. No, like I agree. You could easily I, yeah, turn I agree. that over I and things could be a disaster. The big key was Sean Miller then for five more years didn't drop the ball at all and kept elevating. And it really – I said this in the piece. It really took Xavier during that period from the mid-major status mm-hmm. to the high-major status where it really wasn't disputed. That's why, that's why I'm, I'm giving Thad a lot of credit for that. I, I really thought he did that. And I think that's why those guys get so much credit as the two best coaches in Xavier history because it was kind of just like when they stepped into that modern era of a success because yeah. when you really look at the numbers Pete Gillen probably has the best claim he's the all-time wins leader you look at he was in the NCAA tournament seven out of right. his nine years out of the Midwestern at, in a one bid basically a one bid league right if I remember right mostly yeah and and I mean Evansville might have made it a couple of times he, made, that, right? he made the sweet 16 in 1990 right. like that was pretty impressive considering Xavier was such a step back at that time but it also gets hard to compare what he yeah, did versus no these guys because they were playing at such a different he, level he put guys in the NBA out of nowhere. I think that was... That's a great point. That was something that, that back then, I mean, it was hard to... Like, there's there was way more Xavier guys in the NBA back then than there is now. Yeah, well, I mean, Derek Strong, Aaron Williams, Brian Grant, yeah. Tyrone, Tyrone Hill. Hill. Yeah. So you had those guys. Xavier has three right now, so... Yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, you're right. It, it was comp- in comparison to where, like, the, the level of prospect they're bringing in regularly yeah. now. Yeah, it was. Well, uh, there was no NBA guys prior to that. And I think that's that's Luther Rackley. Go look him up. When you start putting nice, when you start putting three, four guys like CJ McCollum, you just you you hit on him. They don't have anybody else to put like to say to this. Our our program now has three or four guys in the NBA. They had the one guy, Tim Kempton, bitch. But Xavier, in that in that run in the nineties, they just like it seemed like every one of their teams had an NBA guy. They kind of came. It was usually right. a big guy came in, right. kind of unheralded. They developed. Right. They became an NBA type guy, and all of a sudden, Xavier was a team that wasn't just the small time team. Now it was a team with, well, they've got an NBA guy. Right. You know that this and is a team going that, the tournament regularly. Yeah, th- yeah. This is a team, and and that's where the perception. I mean, I guess you could. I, if I would argue anybody, I would argue Gillen. Um. But I, I I think I say Mac is is the best coach in the, X history. The, the at this one point. thing Chris seems to have a real knack for um, is, is he winning in March. Yeah, I mean he, he has a, <laughs> no, no, uh, made a cut to the chase. <laughs> well, and, and, and actually, on those lines, of, of just looking at the big picture and not freaking out during yeah. during a three game losing streak and and. Just and maybe behind closed doors, it's completely different. Maybe he rides their ass to the point where they hate him. But it just feels like in in, in the public view of that is it, it, it's. 
it, it is a journey. It's not, you know, hey, every game is, is – is, got to have a winner. No, there's a big picture element to this of trying to develop guys, maybe trying to develop some chemistry, trying to uh, – and, and I'm not here to tell you he looks at a butler on a Tuesday night and goes, well, this is just an exhibition game. If we lose it, nobody cares. Um, but he just he seems to have a real grasp for the big picture, which is the stunning part of them losing last year was, is, is how well they've done when they've gotten to march under him because they seem like they're playing really about their best basketball. But they, and, and that's not easy to do. That's, they, it's really, everybody goes, you got to peak at the right time. You can't you – can't no. Determine all the time when a team is going to peak. You well, just and can't. you can't determine when Bronson Koenig is going to go bananas Correct. in the final thirty seconds. Correct. Yeah, like, that's Correct. the thing. It's not like Zay, like people want to be like, well, Xavier wasn't playing their best last year at the right time. It's like they weren't. You would have. You wish they would have shot better in that game. Right. But they didn't play poorly. Wisconsin they, they won were, that game. Yeah, they were in. Xavier was in position to win the game, and that's, Wisconsin took it. That's how it is when you play Wisconsin. It's a low possession, close game, and you better make some shots to win. And, and you better hope that. that they don't make all of theirs in the final minute. Right. Including one falling out of bounds, turning sideways, and throwing it up at the rim and hit. I mean, right. No, that's that's. One thing I think about Chris that, that maybe does make him the best is he just seems to have that knack for just looking at just just it's a whole big picture season. It's not just this night or or uh, this two week period. It's it's well, and, going and, through the whole process and, and that's I, hard. I think you get shaped by that by having some bumpy seasons and then getting into the tournament, the bracket breaking right, and you take and your in, in your mindset you develop the fact that hey we've done this. We well, not that we've done this, but. You've got to keep pushing because you never know when it's going to break your way. Right. You know, you never – you don't pick the year. The year picks you. You never know when those opportunities are going to present themselves. Yeah, because you don't control the other results. You don't control the other results. So just get there. See what happens. Cincinnati's been incredibly unlucky for the seven years and who they've had to play. Xavier's had some luck in who they played. But Xavier's taken advantage, and especially this year. I think that erases a lot of that – Xavier gets all the breaks. Like everything breaks their way, everything goes their way. Now, if they get through Gonzaga, then, then they would had to have gone through the hardest possible seed along path because everything else broke exactly. And, and then beat and the it, six, beat the three, beat the two, beat the one. And then the fortunate part is the other part of the bracket. They could be in the freaking NCAA finals. Did break your way a little it's bit. It's unbelievable. It's unfreaking here here's, here's the redemption they get. You don't get the Huggins redemption, but maybe they get the redemption against Wisconsin in the Final Four. Yeah, I saw some people mention that last night. I don't, I don't know if that's the team you want to face out of that. No, bracket, I, the no. way that bracket's broken, it's probably not it's so bad up there. Like, there's there's a few teams I think you'd like to. No, see. No, the one you don't want to see is South Carolina because if they're there, they're just they, it's, they're team just, of destiny. It at that is. Point. It's, it's almost like how how are you here? Are they supposed to are they, deal with the devil? Do they score ninety five again tonight? I or? don't know, dude. They've suddenly found this fountain of scoring ability that came <laughs> Frank, out of nowhere. Frank Martin, best offensive coach in the country. No, right now he is. That's for darn sure. Can we talk about something? I'm sick of talking about Xavier. Yeah. This sucks. I do want to ask one more thing, and, and, I, and I, don't, I don't know if you buy into the intangible of, of, of the pressure being on Gonzaga because they are the one seed, because they do have just the one loss, because Mark Few now um, is, is – Somebody's is, going to their first Final Four. Is a step closer to the first Final Four, and and, um, uh, and Xavier's been playing with house money almost since the Maryland game. Do you buy that intangible? I don't buy into the intangible as much of like, oh, Gonzaga's guys are worried about Mark Few's resume of not being able to get to Final Fours. Like, I don't think any of his players know – I mean, they know, they but know, they don't but, – right. They don't care or right. think about that. Right. I don't think it affects Gonzaga. What I do think it affects the game is Xavier is clearly playing with a looseness and a like they're so relaxed and Screw under- it. Yeah, exactly. It's like 
we're balling. Like yeah. we are hooping right now, the best we've played, and no one thinks we should be here. So to me, I think that does help a team when you have nothing, like no pressure on you at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Kentucky UCLA. Um, it, it you know they're arguably with what's left in the tournament, two of the five best teams left. Three of the best teams and the three best teams in the field. You could well three of the four. four Kansas has played off the are record. in the south. Yeah, agreed. And, Rick Rick and, was wondering about Kansas. I, I think they got it figured out. They've clearly oh. figured it out. Yeah, Dude, they put they put their foot on Purdue's throat and just so quickly them out. So quickly. Bang. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Kind of close. Yeah. 20-point game. Yeah. And just stomped them out completely. Now, you and I argued on this last podcast about where we thought this game would go point-wise. You still think it's in the 80s, right? Yes. I, I th- and you think Kentucky wins a game if it's in the 80s? I think it's higher scoring and I because I think that's the way both teams want to play. I don't think Kentucky's going to slow it down that much. I mean, it might get a little slower than the last game was that was up what, in the mid-90s. 97, 97 92. Yeah. yeah, so it might get a little, little lower than that. But I do think it'll be fast-paced, and I think Kentucky wins. I'm going Bruins. Yeah, I'm going Bruins too. But but the, a couple of things um, we were talking about. You, you crunched the numbers on Malik Monk. Something's got to. I mean, he, he is too good of a player to go through a funk that he's going through. Five of twenty six in the last six games, averaging eleven point three when he averaged in the in the first whatever twenty five games. He averaged twenty one seven and shot forty four percent from three. So I, I I wish I could put a finger on it and just say, hey, it's just a slump. But six games starts to become a pretty decent sample size of not making shots. Yeah, I, but I will say he's a dude that. That big games has been his deal. It I is. Mean, I mean, it, it, not every big. Well, a good chunk of them. Not every big game, but sorry, my headphones like shorted out or something there. Freaked me out there. Brendel had a mini stroke. <laughs> I did too. No, I. <laughs> so I'm like, holy, <laughs> there he is. Now he is. Uh, easy, huh? No, I, my uh, my. There's a short in this wire. Okay. That's a problem. My okay. my. Sound wires. wires. Yes. Shorten my wires. Correct. Um, he's he's built for games like this. He's going to have to step up. I mean, he's going to have to get at least 20. Absolutely. At least. Absolutely. The other part, Brendel just started twitching and smoke started coming out of his ears. <laughs> <laughs> that really weirded me out for a second when I thought he was too. frozen. I, 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 well, dude, I've said so many nice things about Xavier in this podcast. My brain is like, I'm about, like, this short is circuit. it. That's why lightning's about to strike. Is <laughs> this about this to is legitimately the end. Um, the the one guy, the I, end. I mean, obviously we talked about so much about Lonzo Ball and, and, and him making the team go. I, the guy that really and I crunched the, I crunched the numbers on him in their four losses. TJ Leaf was seventeen of thirty seven, averaged eleven two, in in the and he, he missed one win in, in the thirty wins that he played in, averaged seventeen seven and shot sixty four percent from the field. And, and part of the part of it is in, in those losses he only got nine. He only averaged nine field goal attempts. He only took thirty seven total shots. Teams have taken him away, and a I think that Arizona took him like that. That did twice. Yeah, that was a that for whatever reason that was a you know marketing ended up being a good matchup there. So. So then I would ask him for Kentucky, who's the guy that, that, that can limit his touches? That's that, There's the next Derek point. Willis? Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's... Wine and Gabriel? Derek Willis is never ideal when you're asking him to defend another team's better, one of their better players. Right. But at the same time, it's similar to, like, why marketing can guard T.J. Leaf is because he's a face-up four. So he's not like the guy who's going to drive around Willis for the most part. He's going no. to spot up and shoot, and he's going to get tip dunks and things like that. So if Willis is tough on the glass and physical with him, I think he can do an okay enough job, but you have to hope T.J. Leaf misses some shots from the outside because when he gets it going with a jump or two, he is uh, he's, he reminds me of Henry Ellenson, that inside-outside threat that can kind of take over a game in multiple ways. He's really good, man. I think they're really good. I, I do too. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun game, and, and um, I, I, I I just think I, UCLA I think, has less holes, which is why I'm picking UCLA. I do too. I do too. Uh, see, I think they've got 
more holes than Kentucky. I think Kentucky does most things better than UCLA, except for when UCLA is on full tilt offensively. They and, shoot the ball. And that's the, that, that's the thing. It, it, if if you let them get in a rhythm, which UC did for about three minutes, and that was about it. 18 points in three minutes. Yeah, for about three minutes, they, they got into that rhythm. And that's why if I'm Kentucky, I'm not sure I'm playing the way I played them the last time. And if you look at their scores in that 13-game winning streak, Kentucky's only gone over 83 times. Yeah, they have scaled a lot of stuff back, and they're playing a lot more in a half court. But you're also talking about teams that are trying to take that away from Kentucky and trying not to let Kentucky run. If you're going to let this Kentucky team run and score in transition like UCLA clearly did the first time you're right this is kentucky teams at its best like malik monk and darren fox flying up and down the court in transition are really hard to guard i would tell you they're at their scoring best and but i don't know if they're at their winning best that i mean that's a good point that 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 could be true but i i don't think they're going to want to slow it down offensively like if they get that opportunity to get those guys going in transition i think they'll take it i'll tell you what i'll bet you i'll bet you a good cold beer on this that within the first three minutes of the game you will see calipari point blank yell at a guy stop well, yeah, I mean, of course. It, after, like, if they're set and you're going to be like, hey, slow down, we're going to run a set, that'll certainly happen. That doesn't mean they're trying to slow it down overall. Mm, I think they will. But anyway, we'll see what happens tonight. Let's talk, yeah, to, let's talk to coaching, uh, the coaching carousel. Who am I going to make fun of now? Oh, you'll find somebody, dude. We'll yeah, but somebody. these are guys, like, I've got a history with a lot of these guys. Well, let's start with, with your favorite guy, the guy that we didn't think was going to get fired. We didn't think Can't they were going to push it. out. However, it came down the pike, and that's John Thompson the third. When I saw the, the, the tweet yesterday, I, I tweeted at you guys, I went, holy cow. I, I Honestly, I, I couldn't believe that, that this was taking place, but it just had to. I mean, it had to, yeah. right? Why is Georgetown such a weird job? Like, why do they? Because, because the old man. Because the old man yeah. is well, hovering. Not, not just that, but like people talk. Like they've got to get an Ivy League grad to, to be the coach at Georgia. Why? It's your like basketball they, yeah, coach they think at Georgetown. That, yeah, they think they're really like. It's a very good academic. We, school. We it, it is. We but, did it. You're smart. You're in DC. Yeah. Cool. Like it's basketball. What are you talking about? That's so weird. No, like right. the candidates they come up with for this job are so weird. Tommy Amaker sounds like Tommy Amaker is the lead candidate. Which I mean, good for you guys. I think I'd go the Pat Ewing route. I but, could, Danny. Yeah, that, I mean, you'd go Danny for pretty much any open job in the country, though. No, I, I think he would be a good like East Coast recruiting. I think he would be a really good fit there. But he his personality might be a little uh, his sideline demeanor might be a little rough for them. But they had Big John, who used to like threaten to beat people up. So <laughs> or just used walk to. Off the floor well, yeah. like, by two weeks ago. You mean used to? <laughs> well, he has others doing it for uh, him now. Okay, okay. now he's he not. Do it yeah, himself. he doesn't yeah. do it himself. Gotcha. Um, I, I think Danny would be really good. Danny, Danny Hurley, Danny Hurley would, be really, Island, yeah. would be really good for that job. Um, yeah, how about Brendel just slip it in the first name name drop? Like, yeah, listeners that time are here. Some people are thinking, they're thinking Danny Manning, Danny Tanner, <laughs> Danny Tanner, even better. You, I mean, Ewing would you would think Ewing would be a good hire? He has said he doesn't want he doesn't want to get out of the NBA. Get out of the NBA, yeah. but. I think Ewing would be the higher. Oh, well, if he wants to, obviously, it or, would be the only way you would keep Big John. If, if you're right. bridging the gap, right, yeah. Big John. The problem is, my guess is they're going to end up having to wash their hands of him because he's probably not very happy about this. I would love to know who went in and told him, like, "Hey, we are we're going to have to fire." Do you tell? Do you tell Big John? No, no, no. I thought you were making that. Thought you were making that call. Fred, who hasn't been in in two days, was responsible for that. Where did Fred go? I sent him a text. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, From a hey, burner phone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, James, the intern, will you get yeah. in here real quick? Uh, yeah. 
we've been looking over your uh, resume, and it turns out we do have an open job next semester for you. But, uh, <laughs> but you got to have one this last task. thing you, you've got to accomplish before. <laughs> Um, we need you to go knock on John's door. And can you give us your next of kin before you go down the hall? <laughs> I mean, how do you wash your hands of him, though? His name is going to be on the building when it opens. Now, Ewing bridges the gap. The question um, is, does he want to go recruit? Can he Can he coach? I mean, obviously, he's uh, – and the other part is he said he wants to be in the NBA. But I got a feeling if, if, if the old man in this case – let's just say that that is the bridge. And the old man calls Pat Ewing and says, listen, I'm pissed off as all get out. But if, if they want to give you the job, I'm going to give you my blessing, and I'm going to, I'm going to fight for you to get it. How does Pat Ewing say no to that? I, no. <laughs> I, I, I think you do it, and you bring Alonzo Mourning back, too, and then you just make sure you land every elite big man for, like, the next And bring years. Dikembe. No, no. Who wants to sex the Matumbo? <laughs> that could get interesting. Maybe make him, like, a special assistant. I don't know. I don't know if he passes the background check. Be a hell of a coaching staff, wouldn't it? <laughs> Look at those three monsters on the sideline. Holy cow! Um, the Indiana job is still open. Does Steve Alford take it if it's if it's if it's offered? And is it offered to him? D- Doug Gottlieb is saying it's a done deal. I, it, it, it seems like the easiest, most natural fit. I think it's awful. I, I Skinny, let me ask you this. I, I don't think he's a let good coach. He did not do great things at Iowa. Um, he did some good things at New Mexico because it's New Mexico. Um, UCLA didn't do good things until they got Lonzo Ball. No, right, you're right. That's the only thing he's done to prove he's a high level coach is is to have put Lonzo Ball on the floor. But is it time for them to go back inside the family for lack Who cares? of a term? I'm just again, I, I'm not telling you I care, Dude. but do they care? That's what matters. They okay. say they do, but I don't there's, agree with that. There's a difference in going back inside the family and getting your like well respected cousin that's running a Fortune 500 company, or going back inside the family well, and getting your drunk uncle. Well, and the, the, the part, skinny. The part. The part is though. Um, I'm not a big win the press conference guy or win the off season guy because you have to. The higher you make, you better have done your due diligence to know. How do you feel about win the games guy? Right. Well, I'm going to play with you. I'm going to play the the scenario out. UCLA, we will agree, is good enough to win this whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If he wins the whole thing, you you got to you got to say, look, that this guy's won it. We're bringing him back home. It gets interesting though. If is you get Steve Alfred elite? If you get it, no, <laughs> that'll be fun. If he wins a title, um, he will be the ultimate Joe Flacco coach. Yeah, no if he doubt. Wins a title, no doubt. Um, there's nothing to suggest that Steve Alford is a good coach before Lonzo Ball. Um, there's nothing to. I mean, maybe an okay coach, but yeah. nothing that like you would say, oh, that's a really good coach. It, there's nothing to suggest Steve Alford is a top ten coach in the country. And don't, don't disagree with that at and all. Indiana's a top ten job, so theoretically that would seem to not make a lot of sense. And then there's also the fact that he has some pretty significant baggage. Like it goes back a little ways, but it's pretty significant mm-hmm. baggage. So. I don't really understand how he's like the top candidate for this job, if that's the case. But uh, how are they not? If, Looking at Chris Mack and well, just, and just him. stacking dollars. Well, if he does, if Alfred does win a title, though, how much does that change, like, the timeline of this stuff? Because yeah. how long does Indiana want to wait? Well, but if Chris Mack's a candidate, you may be looking at the same scenario. They may play each other in the title game, for goodness sakes. I mean, maybe, yeah. But, like, I mean, I'm not saying, but I'm, I'm not saying Chris Mack is the next in line either. I'm just saying it gets But his name's going to be in there but, if Steve Alford says no. Right, but, I mean, whoever you have to wait for, it just it's going to be interesting to see how long they're willing to wait and how anxious people get. Me, you can guarantee they're in contact with four or five different agents or, you no know. No question. I, I guarantee they 
been in contact with Chris Mack. Pull the brand under, pull the brand underwood, coach the title game one night and wake up in in, uh, in Bloomington the next day and wave to the crowd. I mean, AD going, I thought we were having our season review and he resigned. <laughs> he just backed up and, and said goodbye and watching him on TV waving waving to the cameras in Illinois. Uh, you do have to think this whole what Xavier's doing right now makes Chris significantly no more attractive to not only Indiana, because I think the people in administration probably knew, like, hey, Chris Mack's a pretty good coach. It makes it a whole lot more easy to sell him to your fan base and your boosters. Absolutely. Especially, especially in a year where Tom Crean had injuries, lost yeah. two of his best players. Chris Mack adjusted to and that. And saw his season go completely down the drain. Chris Mack had the same thing. Right. And he's in the Elite Eight. And maybe playing Gonzaga four. for a chance to the Final Four. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it, it'd be foolish for them not to to, to consider him. The other one, obviously, uh, with local what, ties. What's wrong with your boy? With Pat Kelsey, who decided he was going to take the UMass job, which I think shocked a lot. It shocked me that he was even going to take the job. And then two I mean, days that's later, a says, pretty thanks, pretty no big thanks. jump from Winthrop. I mean, I get it. Just I mean, UMass I, has got some prestige. I know, it it's just got some history. It just didn't. It, if I, it just doesn't feel like the right move. Because everyone greatly exaggerated how valuable he was and how good of a candidate he should have been for all these other jobs. I don't like – the UMass felt like a really big job for him to get, yeah, in my opinion. I no, agree. No, but if I'm – it does because the money's obviously a lot different. It's in a better league. It's in a league that, that's not a one-bid league. Um, but really, if you take aside the Calipari years, I mean, what's, I mean, you, what's UMass done? Can we – has this ever happened before where a guy literally is – Sitting backstage for the press conference, the media is coming in the room. I'm told there are others. I haven't been given any examples. And he just says, "I'm good." Well, there's been like, guys that have that have backed that have, out. Yeah, like Billy Donovan. Right, yeah, right. stuff like that. But this was he's he's in the building. The media is gathering in the press room. They're setting up cameras. There's a live microphone, and it, it, he just says. I, I can't go. do this. I gotta go. And like it's it's literally leaving someone at the altar. Mm-hmm. Like he invited like a hundred fans to like it's running out of your wedding. Yeah. I, this is an I'll I'll be as as blunt as I I can because I sort of held back a few weeks ago when I was asked about him being Xavier's next coach. This is exactly what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. He and mental health is what it is. I hope he's he's well and he gets everything taken care of that he needs taken care of. But this is a very stressful job being a Division One head coach. He's not cut out for it. Like nothing he's done suggests that he can handle the stress at the of high being level, a high, high major level. head coach. Yeah. And then you go and do something like this. Like people are thinking he did this because someone told him he, he has a chance to. Chris yeah, is this is, for this, Indiana. Is, I, this rumor is fantastic. And this this means he's the next head coach at Xavier. He On got, what planet can you now hire this dude at Xavier after what he just pulled? He got, he got the, the, text, the, text, the text. No, he got the bat signal. Somebody sent out the X, like inside the UMass facility, and he was like, oh. Sorry, sorry, guys. I can't. I got. I, I got. I got another call. I got to go. And just, just slid out the smoke signals from Elder's parking lot. Did say <laughs> on the west side of Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, really, to some extent, he's he's really now pigeonholed himself to stay at Winthrop for the for, rest of his career, or unless you, unless you somehow have mega success, which would be get to another tournament, maybe even take make a Sweet Sixteen run with a Winthrop that gets you back on radars. But now, if you're you can't the hire next him. Step, you, do you, how, how can you trust that process? He, he eliminated himself from consideration for the Xavier job for all time, I would assume. Like, I don't know how you could handle that guy. Certainly not for the next few coaching cycles. Right. 
Right. I mean, it had to be a long time before you could let that's something a, like this go and still hire I mean, it, it, that's a hell of a gamble. Especially let, when you've got candidates like you'll have for the Xavier job. Yeah. Like, it's too good of a – there's no way he can be a Xavier Well, the, the only thing I would tell you is – I mean, it is, it is a far-fetched rumor, but, and I'm not telling you somebody did, but what if just somebody close to him said, hey, dude, I don't know if you, if you hold out, you never know, and he thinks – Maybe you're but, right. But you don't Maybe do it like this. I, I'm he not, has to again, be more self-aware than that. I, 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 I'm so not disagreeing. Stupid. I'm just trying to throw out a scenario where you are literally about to be introduced as the coach. Um, because there have been. There have been other guys, you're right, I mean, that have said, I'll take the job, and then a day later go, yeah, you know what, I'm not going it's to – it's not a good fit for me. This was literally – you're up there. You're getting ready to be introduced as a coach, and you – Run out of the building for for I, I don't think he did that, but maybe he did. My, my first inclination. Do, that's how I envisioned it happened. He ran out of the building, and Alan Cutler was chasing him. Yeah, a that's lot how of I people it. thought it was because of another job immediately. That was not my first instinct at all. My that was first, not mine either. My yeah. first inclination was, oh, he can't handle. He's not. He didn't want to take it. Yeah. Like he he bailed. My first inclination was, what in the hell is going on? Yeah, that's fair. That's, <laughs> that's a fair. <laughs> My first thing, I texted Snow. What in the hell is going on? And nobody really knows, right? I mean, there's no other than he just got cold feet. Yeah. I think there are some, some things out there that people know. But, I mean, it's personal business. It is, right. This I type know. of stuff. I know. And, and, again, I mean, I just he, – he's not cut out for, for the high level, I don't think. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we did this podcast today, boys. It was a good call on your part, Chad Brendel. Thank you. Got anything else on your mind? Yeah. Chris Mack's really good. Okay. He he definitely has uh he's has earned a raise. He's established himself. He's, with that. he's earned a raise with his well the only reason I say that the, like I said I'm a, I'm a players win games guy. Very rarely do I walk away from a game thinking that coach just dominated that game and we're on game 3 of domination. Yeah, of Chris Mack dominating. We talked about it in the Florida State game you could have made a a, a coaching clinic on his offense in the first and second half on this is this set, this is option one, play one, option two, play two, bucket, 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 bucket. I mean, he has dominated these three games. And the brilliant thing about the Arizona matchup is you're playing Sean. You know he knows Arizona's more talented. Arizona's more talented, but you know Sean also knows all your sets. And so, like, that cross-screen play that we always talk about where they go throw across the big, they ran a counter to that. Three different times, got it all three times, including the game-winning play to Sean O'Meara. Yeah. That was a counter to that cross-screen play that they run all the time that, that you knew Sean had his guys scouted. Yeah, for. yeah, yeah. So I mean, Chris doing Clinic. stuff like that. Yeah, it was it was impressive. I, I just I, I don't walk away from games thinking that, and and I, I've walked away from all three games thinking, damn, Chris, Chris really did it again and again. And again, he's got three more again. And if you're a Xavier fan, save this podcast because I'm done being nice to Xavier forever. I've, it's, I've, I've done it enough. What's the prediction for Saturday, Xavier and Gonzaga? Uh, you know, I, the, the logic tells you Gonzaga is a better team. Um, they've accomplished far more this year. Um, but the line is nine. Gonzaga yeah, that, by nine. That, the line last night. I'm was, taking the points. I am too. The line last night was seven and a half. Um, no, I, I would definitely take the points. I, I think if Gonzaga wins this game, which I, again the logic dictates that that's who you probably need to pick. Um, it's still going to be a it's going to be a scratch and claw for them to do it. Um, uh, it. But nothing nothing Xavier would do right now would surprise me, especially other than winning it all because I just don't think they're good enough to beat either Kansas, Kentucky, UCLA, they're North Carolina from the other there. side. But they're good enough to get there. And in a one game scenario, Butler pushed Duke almost over the edge for goodness sake. So it, it, a very good Duke team over the edge, and uh, so it, it's obviously possible. God, I hope Gonzaga wins. <laughs> he had to get that in, didn't he? No, I, 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 are we being honest? Are we being honest, right? Yeah. I can't. I can't. I, I couldn't take it. 
Like, I think you've earned yourself a little bit of honesty yeah, here. That's, that's good. Not not really on the Xavier side of things, but literally because the people on my message board are losing their mind. I'm, I can only imagine. It, Over, it, the, this is the worst possible scenario if you're a UC fan to go out. You win 30 games. Go out in the second round. You lose to a great team in the second yep. round. And, and a 13-loss Xavier team is in the Elite Eight playing Gonzaga. And, and two, for a chance and two, I hate it. two winnable, yeah, two, yeah, two winnable, winnable games to, to get, get to, to, a, title to game. a title game. The Zogs, <laughs> Zaga, whatever. I, it, it's like Valparaiso. There's not, no rise. It's rays. <laughs> Valparaiso. Whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm shook you know, at this point. You know what it is? U C L A. You can say that easily. I can. <laughs> Alright, boys. We'll be back on Monday. We'll be back on Monday when we will know who the final four teams are. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the podcast.